Let's go to Exodus chapter 40, verses 33 through 38. Exodus chapter 40, verses 33 through 38. All the scriptures that I have for you today are going to be in the New King James Version. Exodus chapter 40, verse 33 38. Thank you for what you said, Sister Calhoun, because that was 100% confirmation for what God wants to talk about today. God knows what he is doing. God knows. And he knows what we need to hear when we need to hear it. So starting in verse 33 of Exodus chapter 40, it says, And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and setting up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. He finished the tabernacle. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. I don't know if I can get through this without crying, so bear with me. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode or dwelled thereon. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let's all just bow our heads and ask that the Lord would just do exactly what he wants to do today. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for dwelling in this sanctuary with us. Thank you for descending or sending your glory. Let your glory rest here in this sanctuary. We're so thankful that we can encounter your presence in a special way. And we're so thankful that you filled us with your spirit so that you can dwell with us. We can dwell with you. You can lead us everywhere in our life and you can minister to us and talk to us on a daily basis and we're so thankful for that intimate relationship we can have with you lord i pray that you would speak in this house open our hearts and minds to receive your word and let it fall on good ground today jesus i pray your word would go forth and be quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword today your word does not return void it will accomplish exactly what you want it to accomplish We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we're going to talk a little bit about the children of Israel. The majority of the scriptures that I have come from the Old Testament, from the book of Exodus and Leviticus. But we're going to talk about this Something that happened here in Exodus chapter 40 where the glory of the Lord descended on the tabernacle. You know, for a while, the children of Israel, uh, as we learn in Exodus, they were essentially a people without a home. (laughs) They were on their way to their promised land, to their home, and uh, they had to take a little bit of a detour. But this nomadic lifestyle is actually a major part of Israel's heritage. We see this Even in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve had to leave the Garden of Eden, they had to find another place to call their home. And then we see Noah having to resettle the earth after the flood. And then we see Abraham called to an adventure with God away from his family to a new place, to a promised land. And then we see this traveling uh, 
the children of Israel traveling all throughout um, the book of Genesis, and then we get down to Exodus, and we have the children of Israel are enslaved in Egypt, and the word Exodus itself means a going out. It means it, it insinuates the fact the, that, that a group of people are going to leave one place in search of another place, in search of a homeland. But in the book of Exodus, the Israelites are liberated from their slavery in Egypt. We know the story of Moses, how he was supposed to die, but God spared his life through, uh, you know, the little basket in the Nile. And, and he was supposed to die just like all the other children his age, but God set him apart for a specific purpose. And we know the story of Moses, the struggles he went through, and God appearing to him at the burning bush and saying, you're going to lead my people. And we know all of this stuff that happened. And now we're at a point in time in Israel's history where they have been led out of Egypt, and they're on this detour if you will. They're going through the wilderness and on the way to their promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham, when God said, wherever you put your foot, I'm going to give you that land, that promise. They're on their way there and a little bit of flesh gets in the way. We see this lack of faith. We see uh, uh, grumbling and complaining that actually happened, um, you know, in the book of Exodus. And, and so God required them to wander in the wilderness for a while until they were able to enter into the promised land. And in that wandering, they were supposed to learn some very important lessons on how they were to approach God and respect God and lean on God for everything and look to him for provision. And truly, they were supposed to learn that God wants to be their king, not some man as a leader, but God to be the leader. And in that, uh, in that period of preparation, when they're walking through the wilderness, they had this self-focused mindset, the children of Israel. They were so focused on what they could do, what they needed, what they wanted. And, and this is what caused a lot of grumbling and complaining when the children of Israel started saying to Moses, you know, it'd be better if we were sitting in slavery. At least we had food to eat. I mean, now you brought us out here to die. It was so self-focused and self-centered. So God was requiring them to walk through this wilderness so that mindset would die out. And a new mindset that was totally reliant on God was supposed to be set in the children of Israel. That was the purpose of the wilderness, was that old fleshly mindset to die out and them to focus on God. But now we're in Exodus 40, after God gives Moses the plan for the tabernacle and after the construction and after all of uh, all of the uh, offerings and tithes from the children of Israel to build this thing, and after being so detailed, like down to the hooks that held the curtains, like this. If you haven't studied the tabernacle plan, please do. God is very detailed, very detailed. And they followed it exact. And now, Exodus 40, they have erected the last portion of the tabernacle, and they're getting ready to worship in the tabernacle for the first time. And the glory of God descended in that place. This, it describes it as a cloud that was so thick and so heavy that it physically prevented people from entering the tabernacle. This cloud that was so thick and heavy, it brought people to their knees. This also happened in, uh, in the Old Testament. We'll talk about it in a minute. But that glory of God, no man could stand in the midst of that glory because it was God's manifest presence here on the earth. We understand God is, uh, he's everywhere at once, right? He's, he, he's uh, what's the word? Is it um, omnipresent? Thank you. I get the omniscient, omnipresent and all that mixed up. But he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. 
But when God manifested in this cloud, this was his specific design, his specific manifestation, physical here on the earth, that actually allowed the children of Israel to encounter this in a physical manner, that they were as face-to-face to God as you could get in that cloud. It's very similar to when Moses ascended Mount Sinai and the cloud that sat on top of that mountain and, and Moses in the presence of God surrounded by this storm, this thundering and lightning in this cloud. It's very similar to what happened here. But now uh, in, in verse 33, we see something amazing. Literally the glory of God descends in their presence. But let me tell you this, we're gonna back up a little bit because this is not the first time that the children of Israel encountered God's glory. This isn't the first time. Exodus chapter 13, this is where we're going to go next. Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the, uh, to lead them the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire represented the presence, glory, and spirit of God. They were led everywhere they were supposed to go by God himself. God literally ordered their steps. This cloud, this pillar of cloud, I have to imagine being a bystander. If this even happened, I don't know. But somebody who wasn't an Israelite standing out in their field one day, watching this, these millions of people on this exodus and a big old pillar of cloud leading them. I have to imagine what a sight that would be, but not, not just that. What would it be like to be uh, an Israelite right there, seeing this supernatural manifestation of God, the provision of God, God leading them exactly where they were supposed to go, God keeping them safe, God protecting them, and being with them at all times. You know what I can tell you, though? We experience that today. We'll get to that in a little bit. But Jewish rabbis started using a particular word to describe this cloud, this manifestation of the glory of God. It's the Hebrew word Shekinah. It actually doesn't appear in the Bible at all. Did you know that? That Hebrew word doesn't appear. It actually takes place of two Aramaic words that show up in the Bible. We won't go into all that. Y'all know I like to study the languages. But it takes place of two Aramaic words that show up in the Bible, one for word, actually, uh, which is very closely linked to logos, logos in the New Testament, and then another one for glory. But these Jewish rabbis started using this word because the word itself means to dwell, to dwell. So what they would call this glory of God, the Shekinah glory. Has anybody heard that phrase before? The Shekinah glory of God. I remember that growing up, so it had to be, you know, I know it's been around a while, but I remember it Talk, people talking about it a lot in the 90s and early 2000s, but the Shekinah glory of God. What you're saying when you talk about the glory of God in that way is that God's glory dwells among his people. That's what that Hebrew phrase means, Shekinah glory. God's glory dwells among his people. And actually, we know that is God's desire to dwell with his creation, to dwell with his people, the Israelites, and to dwell with the church today. That's God's desire, to be in the midst of everything that we do, to be a part of our life, to have that intimate uh, relationship with us, to dwell inside of our hearts. That's what God wants to do. And he told the children of Israel this in the book of Exodus. 
Exodus. Exodus chapter 29, verses 45 through 46 say this. This is God speaking. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. You know this phrase, God saying, I will dwell with them, or I dwell in Jerusalem, or when God says, I dwell, it shows up so many times in the Old Testament that God's desire is to dwell among his people. He wants to be a part of our life, and he wants us to rely on him for everything, for everything. You know, glory, I'm glad you... Describe what glory was, Sister Calhoun, because that's exactly what it is. There's two definitions for it. There's uh, one that talks about the reputation, having a reputation based on what God has done, his reputation. That's what, uh, I'm not going to rehash all of it, but giving our glory, that's what it is, publishing his reputation to the world, to those who don't know who he is. But then the other definition for glory, and this is what they encountered right here in Exodus chapter 40 in the cloud that filled the temple is his majesty and beauty, that God is glorious. He is majestic. He is royalty. He is beautiful. He can do anything. And when that cloud hit the children of Israel, every single one of them had to fall to their knees and worship the king of kings because he is majestic. But that example in Exodus 40, that is the example that typifies Shekinah glory. The glory that sat on the temple. It was so thick. It permeated everything. But if you notice, it, hit, it filled the entire temple. The entire tabernacle, I should say. We're not at temple age yet. But the entire tabernacle and spilled out of the tabernacle. Everyone was able to witness the glory of God in this moment. And what a moment to experience God's presence. The dedication of this tabernacle. Everything was finally complete. And God was fulfilling a promise right here that if you build this tabernacle, I will dwell in the midst of you, Israel. That was his promise. And he fulfilled that promise right here. When everything was erected, when all, all the curtains were hung, the badger skins were hung, when the wall was constructed, the gate, the, the, the temple or the, the tent posts, everything, when it was all put together, God showed himself in a powerful way. And this glory is where the children of Israel found their home. This was to be the place that they dwelled was in the glory of God. Not in where they wanted to be, not in what they would, what, what, a, what a, a, a tribe or whatever would typically call their home, but God's design was for his people to live in his spirit, to live in his glory, and that become their home. The children of Israel were nomadic. They, they didn't have a, a, a traditional place to call home like we do today. You know, we uh, in the Western world, our home is, uh, most people would say, our home is our, our street address, where we go, go home to at night. It's, it's the, the house that we own, the apartment that we rent, it's whatever. That's what the Western world typically calls uh, uh, a home. But, but these nomadic people, they didn't have that. All they had was uh, the tents that they carried with them and the Spirit of the Lord leading them. That's all they had 
They, didn't, they weren't in the promised land yet, but this was to be their home, a spirit-filled home, a home where God dwells with them and they dwell with God. That was God's mission. That was God's design. And it hasn't changed. That design of home, a spirit-filled home, has not changed. Now that we're in the New Testament age, we're the church, we're the people of God, we're, uh, most of us are not Jewish, so we're the, the called out ones, the ones who were not a people of God but have now become a people of God, the ones who didn't have mercy but have now obtained mercy. We're the ones that, that didn't belong and now we do belong. And God's desire is the same in the church that he wants to dwell with his people. He wants his glory to set down in the lives of every person here. This glory in the Old Testament that was in the, the tabernacle, it, it was a fixture. It, that, that's why the Holy of Holies was the way it was. That's why you couldn't enter that unclean because you would die. God's glory was a fixture in the tabernacle. It stayed in that Holy of Holies. And there were other special circumstances where God allowed it to, to expand out of that holy place. But he stayed there. That was his home. That was the place that he chose to manifest his presence was in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. And check this out. Brother Rob, you, you were all over one of my scriptures today. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Check this out. Uh, uh, actually, where does 19 start? I think I might have made a typo in my notes. Can somebody throw that one up there? Yeah, here we go. Okay. This one I grabbed in King James, okay. Um, so scripture says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Go ahead and go to verse 20. For you were bought, with a, you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Don't you understand? This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. Don't you understand? that your body is now the tabernacle of God. Your body is now the place where God desires to dwell. In your heart, he desires to fill you with his spirit, to dwell in you and you in him. And then he takes it a little step further and says, don't you understand, you were bought with a price. Your life is not your own. Your body is not your own. It is owned by God because he robed himself in flesh, died on a cross, rose again on the third day. He paid the price for our sin so that he could own the tabernacle that he dwells in, which is every one of us. In the Old Testament, we see that physical example of God's glory filling the tabernacle. And now in the New Testament, we see it come to pass in every one of our lives. When God fills somebody with the Spirit, he is setting his Shekinah glory down in a human heart. That's what God does when he fills you with his Spirit. His glory permeates everything that you do. The Shekinah glory, he still sets it down in the temple. This time, though, the tabernacle is us. Mm. Look at these examples. We're going to go to the book of Acts. What better place to look at God setting down his glory in a human heart? The book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. 
God chose right here to physically manifest his presence around these people. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of a fire. And it sat upon each of them. But this is different. This is different than Exodus chapter 40. We still see a physical manifestation of God's glory, the wind and the the tongues and, and all that. We see a physical manifestation. But here's the difference. Now, he doesn't just stay around the people. His spirit fills a human being for the first time in all of history. Now we see a change happen where we don't just experience God's glory on the outside, but now these people started experiencing the glory of God inside their own heart. God's spirit filled somebody. And then it says they were all filled with this Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Shekinah glory of God. That dwelling glory, the glory that dwells. And then Acts chapter 4, verse 31, I I really like this one too because we see the same thing. We see a physical manifestation and then we see a spiritual manifestation in somebody's heart. And when they had had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. God physically manifested something around them. The place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. This physical manifestation and then the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now God is dwelling in the hearts of his people. His glory is set down in a human heart. God allows us to encounter his presence in a supernatural way. I'm so thankful for that. I never want to take that for granted. I'm so thankful that the God of all of eternity allows little old me to experience his glory in a powerful way. So thankful for that. God, let your glory dwell here. You know, a spirit-filled home, I'm talking about our heart. A spirit-filled home is a catalyst for rebirth. The Spirit of God is described in two very powerful ways. The glory of God is described in two powerful ways in the Old Testament. Number one, this described with unparalleled levels of mercy. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2. Here's another example of the Shekinah glory that the Jewish rabbis point to. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat. We talked about this. where God, That's where God's spirit dwelled was in the, in the holy of holies within the veil before the mercy seat which is upon the ark that he die not for I will appear in a cloud upon the mercy seat. There are six times in Scripture where God says that he dwells or his throne is on the mercy seat. That is the throne of God, the mercy seat. I remember in P.I., Brother Booker talking about the throne of God. And what he was saying is that the found, one foundational principle of God is that he is love. We learn this from Scripture. God is love, Right? And we talked about in Spirit Life class how that love, there's different components of that love. And one of the component, components is mercy. And Brother Booker was talking about how uh, the throne of God is built upon a foundation of mercy. 
Mercy and love is at the core of everything that God does. We know he's just, we know he's righteous. And Brother Rob, you talked about in Spirit Life class this morning where God is gonna be a righteous judge at one point. But that doesn't contradict his love and mercy. He dwells on the mercy seat. What that means for us today is that when we encounter the presence of God, his desire is to show mercy on a human. His desire is to forgive sin and dwell with his people. Mercy. We deserve punishment for sin. We know this. We deserve punishment for sin. But because of God's grace and mercy, he saves us from unrighteousness. This is linked to his glory. The fact that he is merciful is something that we can publish his reputation to those who don't know God. Mercy is linked to his glory. Mercy is, a, is, is at the core of what God does. He is love, and he dwells on the mercy seat. Check this out. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. This I recall to my mind. If you were in spirit life, we covered this a couple weeks ago. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. His glory. He is merciful. When we dwell in the spirit of God, when we have a spirit-filled home, when our tabernacle of flesh is full of the spirit of God, there's mercy. Do you know what mercy means? If you were in spirit life class, we talked about this. Mercy Mercy means that when it is in one's power to punish somebody else, they look upon that person that deserves punishment, forgives them for what they've done, and chooses not to punish them. That's what mercy is. When somebody deserves punishment, but the person who was supposed to punish chooses not to. It is linked so tightly with the forgiveness of sins. You can't separate mercy from forgiveness. When God forgives you of your sins, he is not just showing you grace, but he is showing you mercy because we deserve to be punished for those sins and he chooses not to punish those eternally for their sins when they turn to God. Mercy. The other component in a spirit-filled home is freedom. Freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. A lot of times we quote this scripture when we're talking about freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18 says this, but even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding, as, a, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord and are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Man, Paul 
is uncovering something very deep in the in Second Corinthians. This freedom. Let me explain to you what he's talking about. That's why I gave you, you know, a couple of extra scriptures. I want you to get the context because the context of this scripture is talking about the Old Testament. When the law or when they're teaching out of the Old Testament, he references this veil that's upon their heart. And, and what Paul is explaining here is he goes all the way back to Moses and the story when, uh, when Moses went up on the mountain and he, came, and he encountered the presence of God, the glory of God, so much so that Moses' face was glowing when he came back down. He was permeating the glory of the Lord in, in front of Israel. And they were afraid. They said, no, don't, don't talk to us when you look like that. Don't, don't look at us. They were scared. They were scared. So Moses put a veil over his face so that when he was in his day-to-day life, it would calm the hearts of the children of Israel. So this is Paul, ever the, law, the, the legal scholar and the Old Testament scholar, going all the way back to this scenario where Moses had to put a veil on his face. And he says, Paul says, ever since that day, there's been a veil on the hearts of the children of Israel. And that veil is on the heart of all of humanity. That's what Paul is saying. And then he says, when a heart turns to Jesus Christ, the veil is lifted and freedom is released. That's what Paul is saying. Not, uh, not, not just freedom from sin. I want you to understand, yes, that is what he's talking about. But he's really talking about the freedom to understand who God is, the freedom to understand Scripture, the freedom to read the Old Testament and the New Testament, be able to apply it to your life. It literally breaks the chains that ignorance of Jesus Christ puts on you. It breaks the chains of sin. It breaks the chains of addiction when we come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. When a heart is turned to the Lord, the veil is lifted and understanding and revelation can be released in a heart. Freedom. Christ sets a human heart free from the veil of ignorance and the chains that are inherent with a lack of understanding of who God is. Turning your heart to God sets you free from shackles of ignorance to eternal things. We start to understand what's really important. That's what this freedom brings. It starts to put things into perspective. We start to understand that the eternal things, the things that are going to last forever, that's what really matters. That knowledge breaks the chains of a temporal mindset. Focusing on the eternal breaks away that mindset that says, I got to focus on my house, I got to focus on my car, I got to focus on money. No, when we really get our priorities right and our heart turns to God and we focus on the eternal, all the other stuff starts to not matter as much anymore. And we start to get so focused on just spending eternity with God that we're willing to let go of everything else. We're willing to let go of the things we're holding on to here on this earth to be with Jesus forever. That's the kind of freedom that that, that the knowledge of Jesus Christ brings. That's the kind of freedom that his glory brings. Mercy and freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17 say this, 
Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though uh, we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The temporal stuff that doesn't last has passed away, and behold, an eternal being has been born today in freedom. Freedom to a new life, freedom from the past, and freedom for a bright future and a hope, a hope of heaven. Man, glory of God's powerful, isn't it? Mercy and freedom. When God sets his glory down, those two things come with him, mercy and freedom. Let's all stand. Let's recap all of this stuff because we learned some things today, but God's desire has always been to dwell with his people. Look at the Garden of Eden, the creation of Adam and then the creation of Eve. All God wanted was relationship with his creation. He just wanted to dwell with his creation, to, to walk with Adam in the day, have conversation, have have the, these intimate moments. That's what God wanted. And unfortunately, sin severed that relationship and Adam and Eve had to leave the Garden of Eden. But, but God's desire never left. He always wanted to dwell with his creation. He still does. He wants to be a part of our life. He wants us to turn the reins over to him. He wants to lead us. He wants to talk to us. He wants to just sit down and have intimate moments with his creation. That's God's desire, and the Shekinah that's talked about in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory, that was to be Israel's home. That's where God desired them to dwell, was in his presence, in the glory of God. Today, we're the tabernacle. God still sets his glory down. He fills us with his spirit, and his desire is that that spirit, his spirit, his glory be our home. That's where he wants us to dwell, is in him. Not in what we want to consider our home, not in the relationships that we try to form on this earth, not in fleshly things, not in, no. God wants our home to be full of his spirit, a spirit-filled home. And that spirit, just like in the Old Testament, the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, continues to lead us today. As long as we've made his spirit, his presence, his glory, our home, he continues to lead us. He's not going to forsake us. He's not going to give us the old bait and switch. That's not the kind of God we serve. He wants to dwell in every single one of you today. This is, this is my challenge today. Let's all close our eyes and let's begin to pray. This is my challenge today. If you have not made the presence of God your home, if you have not invited the Lord to come into your heart and he fill you with the Holy Ghost and you start speaking in tongues just like the Bible says, that's my challenge today. Make your home God's spirit and let him fill you with his spirit because he just wants to dwell with us. 
while we're here on this earth. And then one day, ultimately, when he calls us into heaven, he wants to dwell with us for all of eternity. Us worshiping him and bowing down to him and having reverence for his spirit and his glory. Let's all lift our hands. As your hands are lifted, I'm gonna invite everybody down to this altar today. It's open, come on down. Let's let the glory of God set down in our hearts today. Let the glory of God permeate everything that we do. Because when it sat down in the tabernacle, it didn't just stay in that in the holy of holies all the time, but it permeated out through all the, all the doorways, uh, out into the children of Israel. And when God fills us with his spirit, he does the same thing. He fills us so much that it starts to overflow and impact those around us and minister to those. When you're just walking through the grocery store, people start to encounter the glory of God because it's spilling out of the tabernacle. That's what God wants. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do. Lord, you are so holy. Thank you for your word that we get to study. Thank you for understanding and revelation today. Jesus, I pray that this word that was spoken would just go forth and minister to whoever needs it. God, minister to every heart in this sanctuary. We know it's just your desire to dwell with us. And we invite you here. Dwell here, God. Dwell with us in, the, in, in this physical sanctuary, this safe place. But God, also dwell in our hearts today. We invite your presence into our life, into the tabernacle of flesh, the place where you want to dwell today. God, we invite you here into our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that if you haven't filled somebody with your spirit today in this sanctuary, I pray you'd fill them in the name of Jesus. We know it's your desire to dwell in our hearts. And let your will be done today in Jesus' name.